large, triple, extra large. All right. All right. Well, I don't know. Somebody's gonna win Reaper Challenge someday. Win. I mean, we get it. I'm not gonna Somebody's tell you gonna it is win yet. today, like we do every Monday, though, too. And Reaper Challenge. Like you guys don't even really know what that is. Maybe no. some people do actually. Uh, you might. Yeah. There was a time back on our uh, biz on our Facebook page way back when we used to do the Reaper Challenge. And we can do Reaper Challenge again. Hey, if you guys knew what that is, uh, vote it in there. If, if not. You might find out. Too. Right, right on. Start the day off. Uh, we're just going to answer questions again today. Uh, pull a bunch out of Ask Beer TV. Yeah. Uh, some good ones. Decent. We spent an hour talking about them, so I think this should be good. Uh, started off today with, uh, like all every day, just give away some stuff. So, uh, Marcus uh, Fiazan, uh, some Lugals Advanced Iodine from Brightwell Aquatics. Cool. And that's $38. Oh, we got three of them. I was going to say, oh, that's wait. some expensive stuff. <laughs> wow, three of it's them. He's got a man. big What's dip he going on. He's either adding new stuff to his system or treating a problem. I mean... There's massive amount of corals and he's got three bottles. Maybe he won on a shopping spree. Alright, well anyway, uh thirty-eight bucks, going back to your account, so you can get three more bottles, man. Whatever you're doing, do it, do it double. <laughs> Keep doing it. Right on, man. Bravo. Cool. Uh and then uh looks like we got a cart here. Uh, or more than one. Oh, wow. All right, you I mean you're couple, generous. A couple today. carts. All right, bravo. Alright, so today we got original blend food, six ounces of rods food, two of them for twenty bucks. And you know, you mentioned this earlier. Oh yeah. This guy's got no address and is clearly never ordered from us before. But probably heard our live streams where if you're a preferred reefer and you drop stuff in your shopping cart because the stuff uh, doesn't stay in there forever, uh, then you might win it for free. Like if that is the case here, kudos to him. If it is, well, no kudos to you, dude. Because you should have put it up to 500 bucks. Oh, I mean, well, there's that. <laughs> but, you know what? I bet you this guy we have for life. 40 bucks. Uh, so what was his name? Where is it under? Uh, it should be up at the top. Oh, Justin uh, Pinto. We don't have your address, but we do have your account. So we're going to put uh, twenty bu- or 40 bucks into your account, man. And uh, yeah. you will be able to buy the fish food. I bet you we have you for life. Because uh, nobody's ever... Had you put stuff in your cart, then miraculously it's free. It's free. So, bravo. <laughs> uh, and uh, then we have uh, uh, Alan De, uh, Hernandez uh, from Florida. And you got some Reflux Fuconazole treatment, H Reef HD, uh, for 17 bucks. And some sea salt from Instant Ocean, 200 gallon box. Cool. And that is $71.98. Making new salt water, treating diseases, and well, he wasn't before, but now he is. Yeah, <laughs> doing it for free. Cool. Uh, Anthony Jones from Wichita, Kansas. All right. Oh, uh, in this case, he's got a 300 watt titanium heating element from Phoenix. Cool. Uh, a cap for a one gallon jug from uh, Resupply. So four those. caps. <laughs> uh, those are a bucket beats. Oh my gosh, man. We were robbing people. You're making a money. You're making money. I got to talk to somebody about what caps. we're charging for a cap. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, Mr. Chili mixing jug, clear one gallon jug, two forty nine. See, that seems reasonable. It should mm. come with a cap, by the way. It does. At, oh, they get extra caps. Oh, okay. Is that it? Yeah, they might be. Maybe there's. Uh, maybe they need extra caps. One because so they can drill and make a doser out of. One so they can screw on and shake it up. Yeah, all right. I've had a problem uh, with that. Getting a beer rest. Drew's doser. Peristolic dosing. dosing that's the first doser that we ever brought in here. So uh, getting a, a Yeah, he's getting a Drew's for $104. I can't say that I've seen one of those in action before, personally. Really? Uh-uh. On your videos, I did. Long oh, time long, ago. Long, long time ago. Yeah, we used them. Actually, that guy, man, I called him up and I begged him. APT guy. <laughs> please, please, please just get us as many. Like, I will give you whatever amount of money you need to hire people. Like, whatever it is you got to do. Just make these things. 
couldn't do it. Dang. I don't know. I, like, I never begged to shove money in somebody's wallet quite <laughs> as hard as that. I don't know. But $204 going to Anthony's. Uh, nice. $204.33. He actually win. spent... Oh, no, it's going to go 225 because he spent $24.11 points. Oh, yeah, so we're, we're going, going back, too. So this is an avid point earner. Anthony, good luck. Good for you. Awesome, man. Cool. All right, all right. So uh, we got, like, six questions. Hopefully we'll get through all of them today. We've only wasted uh, four minutes on giving away stuff, so that's pretty good. We got time. All we right. didn't make it through all the questions last week, but we had a lot of good conversation about them. So. We did, man. We did. How about we pull up that RODI one first, man? Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> all right. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Where's that cap question over there? Oh, let's see. I saw you hovering right. Caps are 25 cents each, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Oh, because he bought four and there was a dollar. Uh, not a dollar piece. I mean, really, I thought we were robbing people. <laughs> hey, that's, uh, uh, bravo. that's Adam <laughs> on the other side of the Bulk Reef Supply com. Uh, uh, 25 cents. Good job. Like, Good seems catch. Like a, it's about the size of a quarter. Not right. So, uh, it's like fair trade. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, all right. So here was the question here. It was uh, somebody sent in a ICP test, I think, to ATI. It looks like, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, for a freshwater test. And they said... Hey, wait a minute. So, well, she tested her. So, it's the the product water after RODI unit. So, it's fresh water, and she wanted to test just what was coming out of the RODI unit and how well it was filtering. I guess so. Mm -hmm. Sent in a test, and so Dave, we pull that thing up. There's a couple of oddball readings in there, man. So, after your RODI, let's just say in theory it should be zero everything. everything. It will never be that, but uh, let's theory. just for now let's say the theory is. The first thing is it says chlorine. 33.91 parts per million. There's also a ton of other little things in there like iodine at 0.01, potassium, potassium 0.11, sodium at 1.56. Yeah, there was like uh, another one down below. Uh, it's like sulfur or something like that. So I think it was. 0.1 or something like that. Mm -hmm. All right, Couldn't so uh, what else we got? We got arsenic at 0 0.01 parts per million, chromium <clears throat> at 0.04. Yep, all right, so you, can go, you can flip it back. All right, so. Uh, you know, obviously, hey man, I just bought this RODI system. Yeah. I'm assuming zero TDS means like lab grade zero nothing in the zero water. Nothing. Yeah. So like Why? that's just not true. So uh, like we're gonna get through a different couple of things here, uh, and we'll mull through them. The first one is how likely do you think it is that they have 30, 30 parts per million chlorine? chlorine. Not likely at all i don't even know if bleach is that concentrated itself i'm sure it? bleach is okay. but like i think a pool is like six or seven parts per million like you uh, can't have it more than that people start getting sick yeah i, oh. I think maybe 20s max whatever so like uh, uh i don't maintain a pool but like the most that the epa will allow in your drinking water mm. is four parts per million so we're like uh, approaching like eight times that and this person's on well water yeah, which is uh, super weird. Yeah, so well water coming out in for their own home, coming out of the ground, no chance. No chance. Like the machine is not producing uh, chlorine. Well, and I think, you know, okay, so yeah, the, the RODI unit's not producing chlorine, but uh, what, what she doesn't make mention in the post is like, you would think that with 33 parts per million level, that high levels of chlorine, it would smell like bleach everywhere. Uh, uh, like, there'd be no mistaking it. It would, it would be an undeniable chlorine smell. Yeah, But absolutely. it wasn't made mention that. So then what might it be? So this is what I'm going to say first and for, foremost, and this replies to whether you're talking about chlorine, uh, mm. RODI water, alkalinity, uh, whatever it is you may be testing. Mm -hmm. If the result defies all logic and expectation, 
it is very likely your testing procedure or apparatus was wrong. Could be. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's the first place I'd be going to check things, man, because before I go trying to like fix some major, major problem that like does not match logic at all, mm. uh, I would go look at that. Yeah. And so the first one here is that I don't know if, you know, the you know ICP test kit here in this case was wrong. Mm -hmm. I also don't know if chloride in the, uh, chlorine in this case really mm -hmm. means chloride. Okay. Which is a major fault if, of that test if it's stating it that if way. If it's stating it as chlorine but not chloride. Which I think that uh, reading down through the comments of this, so there was a long discussion about this, like 75 some posts or comments on this one that was trying to, you know, figure out what was going on or why this could be and how all this other stuff. And then I, I think later on uh, she had posted uh, pictures of the actual screen where salt water in the reef tank was like 19,000 parts per million, 19,000 parts per million chlorine. Mm -hmm. And then you saw the RODI water, which was 33. So, and then she, uh, I think they even made mention that this is probably reading as chloride. Yeah. Uh, so what a weird, like actually terrible way to it, it is that. terrible. It's <laughs> totally misleading. I, that is, <clears throat> yeah, that's a, enough to throw you on the, Tearing apart your entire house and your entire plumbing to figure out where this chlorine is coming from. Okay, so that leads into the second piece of this thing, mm. man. And like, uh, some of you may be aware of uh, the testing that we did on all the uh, USP chemicals versus the non and whatnot. Oh, yeah. And uh, I picked out an independent lab to perform all those tests. And there was like five of them on a total of what was it like? five different items yeah uh, so it's 25 tests and it cost me about twenty two thousand dollars to do yeah so it's so, icp icp ms testing yep, a little then, bit faster and then icp uh, there was another part of it too uh, i forget what the current yeah. one is but icp oes oh well there's oes yeah okay so i did ms and uh, then there's oes and the ms uh just for reference points so that was like nine hundred dollars a piece to do one of those tests lab right grade. in a lab grade uh, uh, format and so when I'm spending 50 bucks to get an ICP test done where you know there's a distributor that made money mm -hmm. the company made money and the retailer made money that test is being performed for like twenty dollars yeah you know like <laughs> so we have to have some reasonable expectations and some of the reasonable expectations is uh, there's probably not a uh, $200,000 you know uh, Harvard graduate mm -hmm. like on the other side in a lab coat performing all these tests right. and rinsing the machinery between every last sample and calibrating every six sample or whatever the you know standard is to achieve absolute yeah. quality. And so, I mean, to be able to get that kind of like certified uh, results. And so I, f I forget the name of the certification that this lab had, but mm -hmm. you had to follow certain steps to be able to have a certification to be used yeah. in this kind of environment for this purpose. Also, most of the readings would only go down to parts per million, right? For like everything they gave their it. tests. Yeah, yeah, and MS goes way lower than OES for most things. Mm. But they can certify down to uh, parts per million, and that's about it. Uh, after that, they told me what you can do is give estimates, but the okay. estimates are that. Like there's all kinds of different things that can mm -hmm. throw off a reading specifically in seawater. Yeah. So like a 0 0.01 is zero. 
like there's you should treat it the exact same way like anything under this is at a certain point you just treat like zero uh anything in seawater can throw this thing off mm. so like when we're reading all these things and you're going into the parts per billion and you're doing it for 20 bucks instead of a uh, 900 we should have reasonable expectations for accuracy right and so that doesn't mean like oh treat out like oh all the icp testing that we're getting in, in our hobby is garbage it just means that you know trends over time is more valuable than any single, single test, test right yeah, true so for instance we set out the uh uh icp test for uh, a lot of salt mixes last week yep. was it selenium yeah uh, i think it was selenium that was varying between the different ones or that was no, all oh, eight of every, them. every single yeah that's right every single uh test that we sent out for icp oh yes now there was variances in different things like irons and molybdenum and mm -hmm. all these other things but there was one that was constant almost the exact same on every single one of them i think it was, it was like selenium selenium <laughs> all of them had some elevated selenium which it was only a little bit slightly unbelievable though that it's unbelievable every that, single one uh, the instant ocean was probably coming from more north american mind uh, minerals the uh, minerals that are coming in from the Red Sea uh, Red dehydration sea. or evaporation mm -hmm. ponds the synthetic uh, U USP grade stuff or the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical. grade stuff from Tropic Marin yeah. the synthetic stuff from HW and uh, uh, the synthetic uh, br uh, stuff from Brightwell all have high selenium now it's probably the machine was slightly miscalibrated that day Could you be. know they like or the algorithm is slightly off and so like go point fingers if you want but like we're spending uh 50 bucks to get a 900 test done and thank i say thank you for bringing that availability because i never had a closer insight into my tank than oh, i do true. now but you've got to be reasonable with how you read them so when you're reading this uh you know freshwater question uh of like reading all the parts per billion and stuff of my tap water. Right. First off, parts per billion probably don't matter at all in any of those things. So anything under 1.0 is reading in the parts per billion. Yep. And probably, probably variance that goes like this. You're, you're definitely getting an estimate. You are not okay. getting a uh, certifiable result from you know an independent uh, lab. So yeah. uh, you know, make sure you treat it that way. Second off, I'm gonna say like I think I'm like tank water is super valuable to get an RO or to get a uh, ICP test done because on my tank you know things will go all kinds of different things are going input into it like so I'm putting different foods into it I'm putting uh, different chemicals into it uh, I'm running a, a calcium reactor which may have stuff inside the uh, skeletal structure of the old media mm -hmm. and so I want long-term results if things are getting like severely elevated or depleted in my RO water, man, like unless you know what you're looking at hmm. and like how you would even treat elevated nickel in your water, I feel like you're paying a little bit mad scientist. Like you're not the, really going to be To the sure. next degree, before the tank. Yeah, yeah. because it, if you don't know what you would do with an elevated mm -hmm. out le level, why measure it anyway? Right. Right. Uh, well, we so, know what to do with an elevated level in the tank. We water change it out. We dilute it out. Yeah, just to some degree, yeah. yeah unless it's coming from your RO. And definitely water. if I got like five parts per million cobalt, I want to do something about it in my tap water, yeah. right? But like uh, if I had 0 0.01, yeah. I don't know. So here's the thing about the RODI water too, is uh, zero TDS like tells you that, hey man, it's a uh, super clean lab grade water, right? Mm -hmm. Well, not really. So it's just a 
you know, measurement of electrical conductivity of the water. And the best tool that you can get for 30 bucks to be able to measure the quality of the water in your house or uh, coming out of your filter. And it is absolutely a acceptable, I mean, it, this is like the real only realistic tool, but like an acceptable tool to give you into a window that's safe for your reef tank. And so when it's at read, read zero, in a vast majority of cases, it is absolutely okay. Now, note that like there's some things that don't come up on there. Yeah, like, so, so the TDS meter doesn't read non-electric, things that don't give off of electrical charge, electrical mm -hmm. conductivity. So Ammonia gas is one of them. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, CO2, another one too, right? CO2, uh, CO2 probably gas off. The ammonia gas, uh, depending on the pH that comes out, it will be in a gas form or it will be uh, in a liquid form. Liquid form has a charge and will read. The gas form at a higher pH will not and uh, will go right through your uh, DI resin as well because the DI resin only removes things that have the charge. So there's like a, a fault in here that things that have really weak charges uh, or uh, large charges, anything that has less than one part per million too is probably gonna read zero, mm -hmm. you know? So if you have half a part per million uh, arsenic or something in there, it's probably gonna not read that. So, so is there a tool to, and I see a question back behind us here, it's not posted up yet, but uh, do you guys use another reputable TDS meter besides the one that comes with the BRS unit? So there's there's a, the Hawk one we have will probably read more accurate than our little TDS meter, right? Yeah, to some degree. So I have uh, three of them here. Uh -huh. I got our little $30 ones, yeah. and then I got uh, two of them. One costs three grand and one costs a thousand bucks. Yeah. And I would call them for, the purposes of a reef tank identical okay like they're not meaningfully different okay uh, for a lab where I want to read true zero electrical conductivity yeah which by the way it's only gonna maintain for minutes uh, as soon as it interacts with the gases in the air it's gonna add TDS to it immediately yeah. hmm. so it really doesn't only last a certain to be that pure it only lasts a short period of time so uh, I call them I would use any one of them, man. Like uh, the the little double TDS meters that are on there yeah. are really nice because they're actually in line, and so the sample can't get like uh, diluted or anything, right. or uh, not diluted, but uh, contaminated. Right. And so they flow right through. And there is a right or wrong way. It's twisted. Water should flow the, the true the through the two prongs in there. Uh, so inside of that, man, like. Make sure to like don't get too hung up on, on all of this stuff. If you want to, uh, one of the easiest ways to find out what's in your water is call your city's water report, find out what's in the actual water, and then you'll know what to test for. Right. They do sell test kits for after your RO system. And, and in many cases, you can test or you can just treat like it's there already, right? Yeah. And so, you know, so most people don't know. Yeah, and that decision will come with just either upgrading like if you don't want to test and you don't want to go through all that stuff then you just get the bigger better unit that automatically has that i mean it's going to cover all your bases versus like a four stage that you might have to start considering this type of stuff right yeah uh, absolutely so like a lot of people could get away with ro system only mm -hmm. like probably a third of the people out there could use an ro only because mm. they just don't have anything like particularly bad in their water. WWC is an example of that. They use RO. Yeah, they use only RO water. Oh. They know it's in their water and they've been using it forever. Yeah. So, but they're in a commercial business that has tested their water and they know what they're doing, you know, and they've been doing it for years. And so yeah. it, they don't need to waste money on DI water. So it's a little different. 
But, like, I'd say at least a third of the people out there don't if you knew what was in it. Uh, and there's test kits you can do at home. You know, I guess you could do the ICP thing uh, if you trust the results. And, uh, you know, outside of that, you just run DI, right? And the DI yeah. will catch a vast majority of it. However, if you're like Minneapolis here, we have 10 pH water and uh, you have chloramines that splits that into ammonia gas when it hits the carbon block and the ammonia gas goes straight through. Yeah. Well, you know, you got, we got problems. In the water, you can actually smell has ammonia in it after the DI. Mm. And for that purpose, you know, you run that pro series and the pro series, what we'll do is one of them will drop the pH of it all the way down to four, which turns the ammonia into ammonium yeah. uh, and uh, I think uh, ammonia gas, and I think it's ammonium, but it turns it into uh, a liquid form that has a charge and the DI removes it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why we run the Pro Series and you could just figure out which one you want, or you could just use it as a precautionary thing if you don't know what's in it. Right. Uh, but to that answer, uh, back to her, her question uh, about that test, but I would definitely find out if it says that chlorine is really chloride uh, and I guess I'd ask additional questions because like when I say a drop of salt water inside of that that test that was on somebody's hand or vial or machine right I don't mean drop I mean like the small little bit of residue from a drop of water <laughs> could do exactly what it looked like there so huh, interesting. Um, all right next one or right, is there any questions related to this there's one? a couple here um, let's see um, dark sky here seems to Burn through a stage of DI resin after about a hundred gallons of use. He's in Minneapolis. Oh yeah, how about ah, that? there you go. All we, right, he so probably just said it with the uh, with the ammonia and the or the chloramines and then the, the pH. So ammonia, uh, I'd be interested to see hundred gallons. Hundred gallons. Hundred gallons is quite a bit of water. That means it processed probably three hundred gallons of water. Uh, it kind of depends. So Minneapolis water is about hundred TDS uh, and uh, has chloramines in it. And uh, very well, if you only are using one carbon block and you're mm -hmm. using the wrong one, uh, you're probably letting the chloramines uh, straight through. Which has a higher toll or faster toll on DI resin because it's burn working some it harder. Of it. It, uh, it will also probably burn straight through uh, one portion faster than another. So you may benefit from splitting it out into the cation and, and anion resins. Uh, mm -hmm. I haven't actually tested the... I mean, we got the beginning of the testing. That one's actually real difficult to get consistent results from. So uh, we'll hopefully we'll do that in the future again. Oh, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, man. So other than that, what I would do is test the TDS coming out of your DI or your RO canister. So if you're burning DI faster than you would like, the first thing you should do is test the TDS coming out of the RO unit. Mm -hmm. It should be between like 99 and 96 rejection. Yeah, I think for our systems here, like we've got, we run the dual, uh, the dual inline carbon blocks. Or, I'm sorry, we run the carbon blocks, then we run the the uh, parallel or the in series uh, RO membranes. So the waste of one feeds the second one, and we measured usually measure about 130 parts per million coming out of the tap. I think here, and then after the RO membranes, the dual RO membranes, we usually get anywhere between three and five parts per million TDS after all of that. So, yep. if he has significantly higher than that, then you're the one to talk about. RO membrane seeding or well so it's probably if he's in Minneapolis it's probably closer to the 96 percent rejection rate or 97 and the reason I say that is uh, the chloramines are harder to get through mm -hmm. or to get fully removed 
And so I believe that the ammonia and the free chlorine that makes it through the small amount actually causes the pores inside the membrane to swell. So inside the RO membrane, there's small little pores that allow the water through essentially. Mm. And they swell and they get bigger in the presence of both uh, chlorine as well as uh, I believe the ammonia in one of the forms. Huh. And so it'll actually allow more of the solution through. So if you're wondering, like when somebody says, do I 99 or 96% uh, membrane, did I get a bad one if I got 96? Not really, it's just your specific water, pH, or whatever might be in it is causing the membrane to perform differently than uh, if uh, it was on a different water supply. Also softened water like uh, uh, allows sodium chloride through, or sodium rather, uh, through easier than uh, the calcium, which is easier to uh, to, re to remove what it's exchanging for in your water softener. Hmm. Uh, any other questions here? Uh, which bed deals with the CO2? It's the anion resin. Okay. Uh, so the usually the one that that's usually the one that depletes fastest for most people anyway. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the anion resin not only depletes the fastest because it, c it is the one that has the CO2 in it. It also depletes the fastest because it has like roughly half the capacity of the cation resin. Yeah. So it's a double-edged sword. Uh, so it is definitely the one. So a lot of this why a lot of people run them separately. Yeah. And then I gotta tell you, it's super, super. Like when you see it, it's super refreshing. Or uh, I don't know if that's the word I want to use. But <laughs> it, it's just really nice to see that when uh, the anion resin is completed, you and I go change it out, you still have a lot of cation resin. Yeah, I know. Usable I cation. Throw resin. away three fourths of my yeah. my cation resin in a mixed bed that was totally ready to go. And that's where the that's where the savings really comes in. It's like you're not with a mixed bed. It's about 50-50 mixed bed, or do you think it's like I think more it's 60-40. Anion yeah. to cation. It's actually cation to anion. 6040 and the reason for that mm. is something to do with the color change so it doesn't change color back yeah uh, and it actually still will do that in some cases so uh, it's a pH dye that's in there and you can't let it deplete entirely otherwise the pH goes back mm. so it's a long long mm. thing but it's about 6040 in a lot of mixed beds meaning that there's 40 40 to uh, 40 anion to 60 cation and if you can visually see them separated out to where your cations barely getting used and your anions gone like this just imagine what it's doing in a 40 60 or 60 yep. 40 mix it's so much away. more efficient and some sometimes yeah. it's 50 50 but most of the time it won't go past that or the uh, uh, dye stops working mm. properly cool all right uh, let's get to the next one yeah man. for sure all uh, right return pump uh, and pump sumps. Sizing. All right. The man. yellow one, Dave. There you go. Oh. Uh, simple question. How do you work out what size of return pump you need in your sump? And most people will probably say two times to three times turnover rate. So, but what does that mean? Will so, they say that now? Uh, will we change the conversation I that think, much? No, I don't think we've, uh, we've changed it. I think we've changed it enough to say where people are maybe down in the five times turnover rate. A lot of, if, when I first was science in a return pump, I've always heard like 10 times. Like if I got a hundred gallon tank, I need 10 times turnover. So I'm looking at a thousand gallon per hour and that's a thousand gallons per hour coming out of the return nozzles, which means I have to get over the four to five feet of piping and plumbing that I have that goes from the sump up to the back of the return pumps, a couple little bends and twisties and stuff in there too. So maybe I'm at like a 1500 gallon per hour pump or something like That's that. That's a lot. That's man. a lot of flow. Uh, and like uh, the Red Sea pump, our tank we have up front, the 750 XL, or XXL says uh, 10 times, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like 1,800 gallons of hour or uh, hour coming out of a hole a single that's the size too. of a quarter, man, yeah. or an inch thing. I mean, it's just blasting like a fire hose out of that thing. <laughs> totally unnecessary. We don't need that much flow. 
So now yeah. we're down to like, you know, I, all WWCs were what? Two, like, like two to three times turnover. So you I, think I of think that same 100 gallon tank uh, at two times turnover, three times turnover, like 200 gallons per hour to 500 gallons per hour. That's a small pump. It's probably as little as one and a half in some of them. Man. Yeah. 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 So like yeah, it's a not it's not a particularly huge pump or turnover. You just need to keep the water heated. You just need to get it to go to your filtration. Mm. You just need, I mean, and it's a multi-pass system. It's if it's two times turnover, that means it gets 50 times a day to get a chance to remove whatever's yeah. in that water, and so it doesn't have to be as often as you might think. But how do you get? Say you decide it was three times you're shooting for. How do you get it? Well, uh, there's. Probably the most of the pumps that are out there have some kind of head pressure chart or a chart that'll tell you this specific pump at this head height or this height will push out about this many gallons per hour. Yeah, can you put, throw up one of those and charts then, here? Uh, oh, did we not get it? Uh, no, we didn't get it from oh, this one. All right. So, hey, Dave, maybe look up the website. Go to the CJ and they have uh, a down nice in, PDF. There. They have a little PDF inside the product description. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so they have a nice little flow chart in there. You can kind of figure it out. Hopefully, Dave will find one here in just yeah, a minute. I like CJ's uh, uh, head pressure chart because it lists, you know, they've got the 0.5 all the way to like the 6 or the 6.0 or all of these. And then each of them, you can see all of the different colored graphs on where these things start to fall off. So like some one pump might push out, you know, 700, 800 gallons per hour at nothing head height. But as soon as you hit 3 feet and 4 feet, it's almost off to it's zero. Off. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of them will say max head height and that's it. You know, like uh, it will say it does 3,000 gallons an hour and, and it will max head height is 10 feet. Yeah. It's not doing 3,000 gallons an hour 10 feet. It mm. means it's shut off at, at 10 feet. Like it's not going to produce any flow at all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so there's a confusion there. So getting the chart and seeing the actual graph. And, you know, you can also see how some of them actually perform better at higher head pressures than others, even though the flow rate's the same. Yeah. So when he or finds you, a CJ one. You can one, find them on our, uh, on the, all the CJ synchronous silent pumps on, the, on our website. And then down in the bottom, there's a PDF that has uh, multiple uh, charts, I think for every single one of them, but I'm surprised when we looked today there wasn't in the actual pictures of the uh, I don't know, that makes the, I'm gonna tell them to put them in there because it's a little easier to see that quicker reference Yeah, yeah uh, so one of the things you have a hard time finding it, Dave All It's right. on our website for the product in the bottom of the in description the, of the any of the CHA AC pumps So like a 3.5 or whatever. Mm -hmm. All right, so like uh, that's an interesting one right there. Actually, is a three point five and so, the three. So what about seven hundred gallons? Oh yeah. Well, well, we should be able to see what I what I'd say. Like, so what if you have what if you come across a pump that doesn't have a head pressure, uh, uh, like a chart or something with it? Mm. Then I think knee jerk, uh, I would uh, cut it in half. Uh, just uh, out of knee jerk, like if it says it does a thousand gallons an hour, I'd say after the you know typical amount of feet that it has to go up, which is probably about you know five feet to get back into the tank yeah uh and my plumbing and elbows and whatnot i'd say you're looking at you know probably half the amount of flow to be on the default. safe side yeah and that i mean they're just shooting from the hip if they're not going to give you that thing you found it all right solid let's shoot uh the pd uh oh there's a PDF that too, spec sheet the citrus silent spec sheet oh there we go and then scroll down a little bit. There they go. Perfect. Boom. Add All right. Ones. Anyway, uh, man, 
Next time we'll be more prepared. I failed. Us. I failed Dave this time. It's not Dave's fault. Like Dave gets a bad rep all the time. So I don't know. I feel it's like we fault. can blame Dave I didn't for copy anything and paste this into right. things. But so here there's you go. a little flow chart there. And so I can't see anything from this far away, but I'll try anyway. Uh, <laughs> and so if you look at like a, a CHA 3.0, you can see that it's the supposed to do blue. the dark blue does, you know, 600 uh, gallons an hour or gosh, I can't see uh, you can watch the actual chart, but if you look up <laughs> at, at, and and look at, at three feet or three meters in the, uh, high, it's going to do about one third of that yeah. uh, as it gets up there. So it actually scales off pretty fast. Mm. And so this this is the best way though is to measure you know the height of your tank, how far it's going. There's also going to be like elbows and stuff inside of your plumbing that you would use to also cut off head. So. I might even go as low as like if it says it's going to do 600, yeah. like maybe it's going to do 250 after all said and done. By the time, yeah, so, so well that said, if it's going to do 250, it says it's going to do 600 and by the time you're at the 5 feet and coming out of the nozzle back into the tank, you're 250. Uh, for a 100 gallon tank, that's two times turnover. Boom. Doesn't have to be that much. So a tiny little pump like this could be as good yeah. for a 100 gallon tank. Well, and then you, if you have dual overflows <laughs> and you have one on each one, uh, you could probably get away. You could probably get away with one of the same pump. So what does that mean? Like, if you're looking for two times, three times turnover, you're probably spending less money on a pump, and you're getting as much adequate filtration and heating as you would with a super fast one. So outside of that, DC pump. So, you know, you can get an oversized DC pump and then you can just adjust it to whatever you want, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't like adjusting the AC pumps backward because they tend to make a lot of noise when you do that. Uh, you create artificial head pressure mm -hmm. with uh, the AC pumps and they tend to make more noise than if they're just running freely. But that's not uh, true in every single case. But with the DC pump, you can just turn it back and forth real easy, no problem. Yeah. So, uh, all right, I don't know. So in general, I would definitely cut the number in half, uh, maybe as far as a third. Yeah. You know, uh, when it's you're sizing enough. the pump for your tank. You don't need 10 times turnover. You can. I Triton, I think uh, there's specific methods, like Triton method calls for 10 times turnover specifically for theirs. Yeah, uh, so if the method you're using calls for something specific, I'd follow it because uh, there's a certain series of things that are happening together and they produce mm. X results. Yeah. If you decide that you're going to do it differently. You're going to do it your way. Yeah, you're no longer doing it Triton's way. Right. You're doing it Jerry's way. Right. Uh, and Jerry's way may work uh, and it may not. It may have un, you know, uh, unattended consequences. And mm. sending the water through the Kato one-fifth as many times uh, could very well have an unintended consequence. Oh, yeah, uh, and you know, I, I guess I try to follow their recommendation. If you know you're following a specific method, and you want to have the same results as everybody else, or maybe you want to be a trailblazer, uh, and maybe you find a new path, maybe get <laughs> shot in the back. You never know. Yeah. Uh, all right, customer reactor one. Let's shoot. So this was the first one. Yeah, it's a hookup calcium reactor. There you go. There it is. Boom. All right. So Adam just uh, Adam's running the same pump or the same setup here that we are going to run on the 160. This one and then uh, that we're running for testing over here, which is the Vertex calcium reactor, the carbon doser that's the electronic regulator, and then a Camor pump. And he's got also got an Apex to control the pH probe and wants to know uh, if you plug the Camor into a regular controllable outlet on the energy bar 832, so you can toggle it off and on. Uh, plug the CO2 regulator into a controllable outlet, uh, or both. 
And is that right? Because it doesn't seem right. He thinks that uh, shutting off and on the power to the CO2 regulator seems a little weird. All right. So uh, right answer is you should have most of the stuff plugged into the uh, controllable outlets. You probably don't need the actual reactor you know, circulation pump. Yeah. Uh, and that's because any one of these things can fail. But basically that uh, carbon doser is just a fancy solenoid on it with a built-in uh, needle, needle valve, yeah. right? Uh -huh. uh, it allows you to adjust the you know, bubbles with a little knob and, or, and, and has a digital, re not digital readout, but an analog readout rather than just trying to guess at it and watch it do bubbles. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, basically they're kind of backups. And I think for most people, you're going to find that a pH probe, uh, at least a good one, is going to give you a better uh, window and accuracy to maintaining the strength of the solution inside of the reactor yeah. versus counting bubbles, which doesn't have the same degree of accuracy. So yeah, I think at a time before uh, there was like real solid pH controllers. There was like pH monitors where you could probably put a uh, uh, pH probe in there. But I think the adjustment really came down to bubble size and then bubble count. And sometimes your bubble size and bubble count would melt the media and sometimes it wouldn't be enough uh, to keep up with your tank. So then that's when that's when that calcium reactors really started getting confusing for me, like reading on them is like, you have to choose the right bubble size, then you have to choose the right bubble count, then you have to like match pH, then you have to try to figure out flow. And there's like six different things to adjust on this thing um, before you can dial it into your tank. Yeah. But now we have the Comor dosing pump, we've got CO2 regulators, we've got pH controllers, like apexes, and it's just turn up and turn it down. So I got to tell you, the calcium reactor of old, there, there's really two options. One, you can go for precision, uh, and the other one, you can use trial and error and a wealth of knowledge and intuition. <laughs> so there's a lot of people out there, man, that run a calcium reactor intuitively, and they do a really, really good job for their tanks, mm -hmm. and they're just kind of you know, adjusting it to their needs. Uh, but that is a uh, result of you know a lot of effort, mm -hmm. learning, trial and error, and uh, bravo. To somebody new, I would definitely go the precision route, which means I'm going to peg the pH inside the reactor to a very specific number, yeah. which is going to peg the potency inside the reactor, and then I'm just going to adjust the amount that I dose. And it's no different than like two-part. The two part is a known, you know, uh, can, or a known amount of ca calcium and alkalinity in it. And I just adjust my dose. Yeah. If I peg the pH inside here, I'll get a known amount of calcium and alkalinity in the solution, and then I just adjust my dose. And so, you know, I would definitely put both of those things uh, on the apex, the both the the uh, dosing pump yeah. as well as uh, the uh, regulator solenoid. And you could use a, just a solenoid and a needle valve instead of the carbon doser. The carbon doser is just like an upgrade, per, you know, makes it mm -hmm. easier. Yeah. I mean, that's a, like, the point you're getting at a two-part, like being the known saturation and known potency of two-part, that the only difference with this one is, is we can change how potent and different potencies it is, so, but. Mm. Uh, I can increase the strength like double. Like, you know, if uh, my flow rate, and if I'm just pouring water through this thing and it's not keeping up with my demand, I can make it even more prone. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, I mean, kudos to him for getting off the off the ground with uh, <laughs> all of this awesome gear, the top gear, it makes it so much easier. 
Definitely, it yeah. makes it easier if you can do use precision uh, 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 gear to adjust it. Uh, the, the one question in there that he was asking, I think, was uh, also related to putting both those things on an outlet. And it's because I have a solenoid on, whether it's a standalone solenoid or it's a solenoid inside of the carbon doser, it's mm. going to fail someday. You know, it's an electrical moving part yeah. and someday it's going to get stuck open or stuck closed. If it gets stuck open, that means that you're going to keep adding CO2 to the Constantly, tank yeah. and you're not going to want to dose that to the uh, aquarium. So in that case, we would set up the apex to turn off the dosing pump as well mm -hmm. if the pH of the tank ever like fell below a certain point or something. So you yeah. want to have double, like I want to stop dosing the solution. I also want to stop dosing carbon dioxide to the reactor and uh, having both of them on apex will do that for you. All right. For sure. Next one, two-part, uneven. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. There it is. So there's a really cool feature in our group. Uh, you can create a poll, and you can get a pulse from the community on uh, what they do. And Chuck asks, uh, for those of you that dose two-part, do you A, dose evenly, or dose alkalinity and calcium uh, equal, unevenly or equally is the thing. And I think uh for the most part like the good a good place to start a good place for me to start was to just dose them the same like if i'm gonna have soda ash and calcium chloride solutions uh roughly they're probably being consumed uh is pretty close to evenly and that way i'll just set them both to 50 50 mils a day or something like that and then mm -hmm. test from there yeah. i fine fine tune from there if you will so but two things well, go ahead. No, go ahead. So two things I'd say is almost everybody, it's, it's going to be slightly different. Yeah. You know, every organism in the tanks are slightly different, and there's a bunch of different reasons as to why the calcium and alkalinity uptake might not be perfect. Uh, number one, because you're playing mad scientist and you're trying to do it every day, and the alkalinity test kits are generally uh, like fairly accurate. Uh, the calcium ones and where it turns that perfect color and right. performing it perfectly tends to have a window of uh, you know 10-ish mm -hmm. or 15 parts per million somewhere in there of accuracy. So like if you're doing it every day, you're gonna feel like, oh man, it's uh, way off. If you yeah. do it every week, you might find it's the same 15. Yeah. You know, that, uh, <laughs> so I would definitely spread it out over a period of time uh, before you, you know, go too mad scientists on yeah. it. But in the end, don't spend time trying to worry about why your tank is that way. Just start dosing slightly more. If you don't uh, fit 50 milliliters of one, start dosing 55 of the other one or 45 or That's whatever. Fine. And, or, you know, some people will just correct it too. Yeah. You know, like every month. I, I think the most, the more important, uh, the most important one to follow is alkalinity. Cause al you know, uh, there's like a seven to one ratio of, or s somewhat close to seven to one ratio of like alkalinity or available, you know, what is it? Uh, available alkalinity calcium. So whole lot of available calcium and then alkalinity not so much so it, it would be the first to deplete in the tank so following the trends of alkalinity you might uh you might be dosing them equally for a week uh, a week straight in 50 mils say 50 mils and 50 mils and at the end the calcium is uh, a little bit low but your alkalinity is still pegged and it's fine uh it's perfectly fine to just at the end of the week boost you back up to where you need to be for calcium and some people probably do it in a month or so I imagine, yeah. right? I would definitely measure to alkalinity and control my dose on that and then adjust calcium as needed, mm. either by adjusting the calcium level or doser down, uh, up, or making manual corrections. There's a point where it's too much, though, like where you're dosing. Uh, if you continue to shove alkalinity at it and the alkalinity doesn't rise and you continue to shove calcium at it and the calcium doesn't rise, 
uh, and then you're getting in the 50s, and then you've gone to 100, and then you're at 200, and then you're at 300. Something's happening in the tank, and no matter how much I dose to it, it's just not going to go up. It's not going up. They got two reasons. The precipitation? Nope, because the precipitation would largely take up both. Yeah. Right? Okay. So two reasons is, uh, like what we talked about earlier, if uh, your test kits defies all known log logic, uh, the test gets bad. <laughs> so the first thing I do is uh, I would go to the cal reef calculator, decide I'm going to raise it 20 parts per million or uh, 1 dkh or whatever. Mm -hmm. I would test, do the test as methodically as I can, maybe do it twice and average the two things. Do the uh, addition based on the calculator and then make sure that the calcium is actually being raised by the solution. If it isn't or it's going way more than you would expect uh, from the calculator, then either you probably mixed it wrong. Okay. Either added too much stuff to the jug, or you didn't add enough, or somehow you just made a mistake. And you know, magnesium chloride and calcium chloride look a lot alike. They do. And you might find that, oh man, I've been dosing magnesium like crazy for months and I didn't know. Because <laughs> uh, in your jug is that. So like, uh, if, you're, if you're drastically, and it's not like five milliliters off or 10 or whatever, uh, it's probably your test kit. Mm. If it isn't your test kit, it's probably because you mixed it wrong. So, it's and uh, you know, you say the magnesium and calcium chloride look look about the same too. But uh, you know, when I was a early, when I was a young reefer, I knew when I started getting in my toes wet in a two part dosing, I knew I had to al do alkalinity. I knew I had to do calcium, and I knew to some degree I had to do magnesium. But then I saw that soda ash and sodium bicarbonate are both for alkalinity. Why not mm -hmm. just dose one or the other? It doesn't really matter. But if you're, sho if you're shoving a bunch of alkalinity in there based on the calculator or are you thinking that 50 mils of soda ash dosing is the same 50 mils of sodium bicarb dosing, it's probably about half. It's about half, yeah. So make sure you select, that's actually a really good one. So that calculator failure as well. Yeah. So making sure that you're putting the right inputs into the calculator of, of what you're actually using mm. and mixing it up right. Uh, yeah, I think the calculator actually has... Uh, mixing directions right in it too so you can kind of glance at it for the one that you selected yeah all right all right like uh let's shoot for one more question here oh i like this one let's uh, do this one which one oh par, par. par and light oh yeah i like this it was, this one was pretty interesting pretty good one uh so rick wants to know if it's possible that if he tilts his leds at an angle instead of straight down on top of the water surface could he lose even more par and could the water surface deflect lighter par if it comes in at an angle, sort of like a mirror? Yeah. All right. So uh, I've seen this more and more often now lately, like where people are trying to aim their lights at, at a coral, like that way, mm. you know, or, or different angles. And yeah. there's, a, there's a scenario where that may work, but... Well, I could see people wanting to do that to reduce the spillage from the front of the tank going into the room and trying to angle them back towards the You're tank. You're probably going to get spillage into the back wall, though, that way instead. Right. And so, you know, I don't know the exact angle, but, you know, water... Maybe you could bring up, actually. I think there is We've a little got chart three, here. I've got three little charts here, or a couple little charts. Yeah, here. so before we pull it up, hold on one second. Uh, so when water, when the light comes in, if it's coming down directly, it's going to penetrate the water to a large degree if it comes in at a slight angle you know I'm gonna make up a number here but 90% of the water will or light will hit the water and come back to go down in it mm -hmm. and if it's at you know 10% uh, or 10 degrees more like uh, like 80% of the water will go in but 20% of the light will bounce back out right 
And so, and it keeps getting refracted also and aimed around inside the tank mm -hmm. at a slightly different angle than when it came in. Right. And, but at a certain point, like most of the light's actually bouncing off the surface of the water and leaving. Okay, so yes, like uh, angling the, the light is gonna actually increase the angle that, that is coming in there and decrease it. However, like uh, we got ripples in this yeah, water. Yeah, water's not flat, in, not flat in any of our I don't think scenarios here. So, so maybe you could pull up that that first one there with all the angles on it. This one? Uh, nope, no, the other one. This one. Yeah, that one right there. There we go. So you can see there in the first little image that uh, the water is actually lights going down straight into it, and a bunch reflection. of it's being reflected out if it uh -huh. comes out at, at an angle. And the larger the angle, the uh, harder it is. And there's a diffuse refraction on the side when it starts to show uh, ripples. Can you pull up the other one that actually shows water in it too? Yes, that one. There, there you go. Cool. So you can see the the sun's rays are coming in, and, and it uh, penetrates at that small angle. Uh, at the uh, tons of ripples, it's diffused fairly well. Right. And then it flat starts to reflect off the of the light. So uh, seeing that, you know, it's hard to say if you aim the lights aside how much of it's going to ref reflect off. The easiest way is look at the wall behind it. Right. Uh, if the wall behind it gets brighter the more of it is reflecting off of the off the wall. Mm. And I think one of the things you can do is take a camera uh, and aim it at the wall because the human eye just kind of auto irises and mm. it's hard to really tell when things get brighter or not in, mm -hmm. in reference to some of these things. And so if you can lock down like the exposure on a camera and then tilt it up, if it gets you know overexposed, you know for sure that an increased amount of the light coming off of your light is not getting in the tank, it's huh. leaving it and bouncing off the surface. Yeah. Uh, as, far as, as far as PAR is concerned though, do you think it's a major, uh, like are we talking like a loss of 50 to 100 PAR for some, in some of these scenarios? Like look at the top of the 160 for example, mm -hmm. or some of these other tanks. Heavy, heavy surface agitation. Maybe if the difference between these castles pointed straight down versus a castle coming out here and down there, what do you think the par difference would be? It's, it's hard to say, man, but I think it could be real significant. You I, think so? I, I haven't tested this huh. or anything, but like definitely if it was still, it would be really, really oh, significant. Sure. Yeah. So uh, it's hard to say with the ripples, like what, what's going to do it at that point. Mm -hmm. Is it like that image, is it just going to get diffused? The easiest way is to rent a par meter you know uh and like find out you know because the goal here isn't you know more or less light like to the eye you know yeah. it's if i want to adjust these lights to achieve a goal like pick the par goal which is often between like for sps between 150 and 350 uh is 250 and much of the tank as humanly possible mm -hmm. uh and in that sense of the uh, world like i if i nobody can I've never met anybody who can do that by the eye, including experts. And they can maybe do it on their own tank, but you couldn't walk up to another tank. And even the whole reason they can do it on their own tank is because they've actually had a PAR meter and been able to okay. uh, test it enough times. They could just walk up to any old tank and be able to tell. Yeah. Uh, it, like I, if, you're, if you are able to do it, know that you're part of the 0.001%. <laughs> Bravo, you're uh, an amazing champion. Most people can't do that. So yeah, and so the answer to that question is uh, rent a par meter. Uh, I used to tell people, you know, that's stupid to buy a $500 one because uh, you're gonna use it once, but for 58 bucks, man. You rent like, one. You know, yeah. 
Uh, ran no, one. That's a lot of clubs. I think it's one. Of, I think yeah. RTC Mass Club had. There's a couple people that have them, and then she's like, "Hey, Bob, let me come over and get the par meter this weekend or something like that." So I guess I, I didn't mean to say stupid. By the way, it, it like it's just really hard pill to swallow. You know, oh, yeah. like this bad to rent a buy a meter. I'm gonna use once for 500 bucks. That's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. and but like if I'm gonna rent it for 50 bucks, I'm like, I would. I got. I, I mean, I got maybe I got thousands in the lights. You know, definitely maybe the corals too. You know, so <laughs> the fifty bucks, 50 bucks and I have to answer that question. Uh, but you know, maybe that's right for a BRS TV investigates to angle the lights different and see how it works. And you might find it actually works really. You know, in a way that you would wouldn't expect. You know, for instance, the first time we tested a metal halide over the tank. You know, we found that the hot spot was actually at the edges. Yeah. Not in the middle. Then you would think, you know, just looking at it, that that bulb is actually the hot spot in the in the tank. It's, ref it's the reflector. It's the reflection. The yeah. reflectors put most of the light into the tank, and so it's a big, huge source of light, and then reflected off the edges of the glass back, back in, in again, yep. right? And so all the edges were actually the brightest, and the center was the was the dimmest. Yeah, that's pretty. Especially down at the bottom. Uh, and so, you know, some things are surprising. So maybe that'd be fun to do is, uh, you know, tilt the lights and see what happens inside a glass box cool. of water. Wow. Some people have, I, I thought about a long time ago about lighting corals or lighting a tank from the underneath. Bare mm. bottom tank, glass. I mean, granted, the, you'd have to keep the bottom of the glass clean. You'd be chipping coral in like crazy, man. But yeah. seeing what you can get a tree from lighting underneath, I don't know, that's pretty cool. I, that would be neat. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. All right, man, we got, uh, you know, we got any other questions in here? Uh, there's a couple on the side from the various things we've been talking about. Uh, how mm. does caulk affect my two-part? Is it or? bad to have 10 plus times turnover? I'm running a core 20 on a 70-gallon tank with a max 3-foot uh, head pressure. Bad? No. I, don't, I can't imagine a reason why it would be bad. It's a, and it's a peninsula tank, which helps you know having that high pressure high flow does help to push that water all the uh, way across. away from the overflow and for those that don't want to like a lot of people don't get a peninsula tank they don't want to put a pump on the display side on the mm -hmm. edge yep. they just want to see three panes of viewing Can't so blame. the more flow that you can get across there the better I don't know, yeah, so uh, I would say no. If you got 10x term turnover, I, I would say it only gets better from two and a half up, mm. but like really quickly, probably doesn't matter. You know, like it, it functionally, it's going to get less and less uh, effective after that. Uh, if I had an enormous amount of fish, uh, I, maybe I'd be able to remove the waste uh, faster that faster. way. Uh, I, I would just say maybe energy consumption or heat. Sound or might whatever. be one of them too. Is like if your if your plumbing size isn't enough to keep up with the amount of flow that's going through it. Like say your your drains your drains are like a half inch or one inch, but your which can only take like uh, what I would think like a one inch fitting can take up to six hundred gallons per hour max flow or something like that through it. Yeah, I don't know the exact number. So then then you're running more than that. You might run into drain sound issues or something. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, all right, yeah, so go shoot for 10 if you want, if you, especially if you already have the, the uh, equipment. But if you run into any issues that would cause you to want to reduce it, know that you can. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. How, what else we got here? We, got a, we just pull a couple other ones in. Uh, what kit do I need to order to convert a four-stage uh, BRS-150 RODI to a six-stage RODI? I have the dual oh. DI resin already. I did a video on this exact topic All right. that says changing a four stage. Maybe Adam can find it. I'm not sure. I did a video that says changing your four, four stage into a six stage or more, and really it was uh, 
the matter of getting two canisters, one solo canister and one DI. Looks like he's, he's already got, got a dual DI. Dual DI, which makes it a five stage, I think. If he's got a car, a sediment, carbon block, yeah. and a dual DI. So you'd want to order one more single DI, and then the resin's in, you'd be good. Hmm. Uh, and in fact, all you, you might want to order the bracket, just, you know, if you... Make it look nice. You know, make it look nice, but yeah. actually you're going to probably just unscrew the two the way they are. Uh, they might be connected in the middle already, the dual, dual DIs. Yeah. Unscrew them from the bracket, put it on the triple bracket, and then turn the other one sideways so you can uh, go through it and put a TDS meter in there. And uh, you're good, it's man. Easy. So I think all you probably need in your case is uh, another single DI. But yeah, look for a couple of upgrade videos out there. They're, they exist. It's mm -hmm. way easy. Like, so if you bought a four stage and one day you're like, oh man, I wish I had a, another stage of DI or another carbon block. Add, uh, one. add one on add or add one in the beginning like if i wanted i moved to a city that had chloramines in it i don't need a new chloramine unit uh, i would go buy a whole another ro Ooh. system that's crazy just buy an empty uh sediment or filter or another filter put a sediment filter before the whole unit then use those two chambers for carbon blocks and then you're good done all right that's pretty easy all right man well we got a couple more minutes four more minutes is there we we have one more uh, a, question there's here? a couple more questions still that All we right. haven't got to uh the magnesium one and calcium reactor one. Oh yeah well hey let's see we've been talking about calcium reactors a lot so let's finish on that last one right okay. there so uh there's one about the size of a calcium reactor yep. where is that let's see Hmm. We've got it in here. Well, anyway, so there, there it, is. it is. Any questions, uh, uh, suggestions on a good calcium reactor for a 125-gallon tank? Uh, so uh, last week we went through and we used uh, one of the calculators out there to kind of figure out, mm. you know, what size reactor you could use to uh, get the desired result. Mm -hmm. And uh, we found that the calcium reactor that was, or the vertex reactor here, when it's full of media is probably good for a, a tank that's using like multiple DKH a day, yeah. uh, all the way up to hundreds of gallons. Uh, Several hundreds you know, of yeah, gallons. So, yeah. uh, and you know, the bigger, the better in most cases, but definitely on a 125 gallon tank, this if it's this big or, or, you know, not, you don't have to this one specifically, although there's a couple of reasons why I'd pick this one myself, but like uh, outside of that, if it's this size, you're probably good mm -hmm. up to 125 gallons. And this is one of those things where the bigger it is, the more stable it will be. So basically what you'll have is a concentration inside of here with the, when you run the pH uh, probe, you'll create a concentrated solution mm -hmm. at a max saturation of like 20 to 40-ish. And so what will happen is the more media you have, the more likely you'll be able to maintain that stable concentration as you crank up the flow rate. Yeah. Right. So at this one, we have found almost no difference between uh, the slow flow rates and, and the large, like 20 to even 100, mm -hmm. uh, even all the way down or up to like a pH of 6.8. So. Uh, I, it's not for most people you're not that doesn't really come into play as much as people probably thought before but uh, if you want to make sure bigger you get the more stable the solution will be coming out of it and the less impact flow rates will have but it's really probably not that big of a deal it's not much it. it's not much really at all but then we're also talking to like the larger reactor you have the less I guess maintenance you could say on it like so you're burning through some media like if I have a small little reactor maybe just the size of this secondary chamber here uh, that I could run through that media rather quickly and as I 
as the media depletes, uh, then the impacts on like pH and flow or flow for sure, uh, probably it's more more of a um, pronounced impact when mm-hmm. adjusting flow. Like like Ryan was saying, what we found uh, what we found here is. Uh, at five mils a minute, when we first tested the, the, the calcium reactor for how much, how concentrated the solution inside the reactor was, like how much DKH is inside this thing uh, at different set pH points, uh, we found you know it's upwards of like 50 DKH or 20 DKH. As you step down the pH scale, so does the concentration of the alkalinity and calcium inside of this thing. Well, then what if you increase flow through it and run faster than five mils a minute? Wouldn't that like bring the saturation or concentration down? I ran this thing upwards of like 18 times turnover rate. So we're talking like 100 or 18, 20 times turnover rate. So that's like, I was running it at five mils a minute and it had this much DKH in it. I crank it up to 100 mils a minute, still has this much DKH in it, not much at all. Like barely, like 10%, I think at one pH set point and like 16% change on the other. The only thing they'll throw that off is that from our test results is uh, if you let it go a really long time and you know, mm. all of a sudden the thing is, has half the media in it. Well, it's going to have half the contact time with the media as well. Yeah. So, you know, don't, you know, maybe the results will be slightly different. So I, I wouldn't let it like empty out mm-hmm. be- between uses. But bigger's better, but this uh, size reactor would be good. I'll just throw this last little note on here. So when I first looked at this thing, you know, Jason at Vertex tends to uh, German over-engineer everything. <laughs> And so he created this gas off chamber where there's a, when it's running, there's a mix of air and water that goes in here. And the media inside here creates a thin, you know, air water interface where there's more gas exchange. And like, you know, so he's trying to create the most gas exchange possible. So maybe it does that. Uh, I don't know if that's actually needed or not. But what, what I did do. find yeah. uh, is that when you use a little pipe like this and expands into a big pipe like this, the air and the water tend to separate in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get very little air getting sucked into the pump and circulated through. On the other designs where the pipe is the same size going all the way through, it just surges in the air that collects from the uh, excess air that comes from the co2 even if you get all of it out tends to build up over time right and it can like just constantly surge through this thing this thing actually made it a lot easier to uh you don't have to worry about getting every last drop of air out of it which and so all of that lends itself to a quieter operating calcium reactor so like we have the we have another calcium reactor under the 750 xxl out there that it has that single single diameter pipe you know type system running out of there and it does, it surges, it makes, it's a DC powered pump, which you think would be inherently more quiet, um, but it gets these air surges where it's sucking in air and sucking in air, and it just kind of does this. And you can hear it from outside the cabinet, but like for this guy, I'm running one over here for our testing off, off camera. And for that guy, like, I mean, sure, there'll be, day, there'll be times when I'm pulling samples or where we make adjustments or we shut it down for a minute, we turn it back on, and now there's some air going through there. But if I come back in like the next day, I, I have to make sure that it's running still because the air has a place to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the, the, definitely the AC pumps will make more noise than the DC pumps, but it's in this case it's more than just mm-hmm. the block, motor True. block itself that's making noise. So uh, for me, uh, the one that we did put under there was like the 
DC bubble blaster pump from uh, oh, um, uh, no, Varios pump. It's a Varios pump, Varios pump. pump uh, from the, the Octopus. Yeah. Thing works great, but you definitely hear a little bit of surges and we're working and trying to get the air out of it. But this little thing right here is actually my favorite thing about this reactor, actually. Another interesting note is that, you know, you never know how accurate these flow meters are going to be. And then I stopped by every time you change the flow rate for your test, and I was surprised to see that the thing actually read out yeah. the exact number that was on the Camor pump. So. Somebody had asked that this morning. I answered that exact same question this morning on hashtag AskBRCV on the Facebook page. They would have the same reactor, and they were wondering, like, do I even need this flow meter in there? I've got the Camor pump. I've got, you know, the CO2 regulator. I've got all this. Like, what does this thing do for me? And I mentioned that. I was like, well, I mean, you essentially you could bypass it if you have a Camor pump. You know how much flow you, you're specifically changing the flow. Uh, but I told him, I said, it's really good because it's, it's, it's semi-accurate and I can walk up to it and I can be like, it's, uh, it's fairly accurate enough to where I can look at it and go, yeah, my pump's doing what it should. Or if I haven't recalibrated in a while and I can see a difference in 20, 20 uh, mils per minute flow, then uh, it might be time to recalibrate my pump. Only thing I'd say is a little bead here, when it's brand new and it hasn't been fully wetted, can get little bubbles on it, right? And then the bubbles will make it not read the right amount. Mm -hmm. After it's been running for a little bit, uh, I don't see that. So. Well, it helps, uh, definitely helps with somebody who doesn't have an adjustable known flow pump. For where, sure. I mean, I don't even know where I'm at for flow, but I've got a solid feed yeah. pump going into this calcium reactor. Well, otherwise you're... You know, putting it into a little measuring cup and measuring what's in a minute. So having a visual readout, if you're not going to use a $300 pump to, to feed it, it's pretty uh, nice. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to wrap it up today. Uh, thanks for coming. And uh, what's what's coming up? What's the next video for you, man, on Wednesday? Uh, for me is uh, I've got... I don't know. We haven't decided who's doing Friday or who do, who's doing Wednesday. I have a calcium. Re the next calcium reactor uh, video coming up. Like it kind of comes together. Yeah. So it's it's the first calcium reactor video where we tested the different saturations, the different pH points. Kind of got lost in like assuming that you guys knew or that a majority of people knew a lot of these terms that we use with calcium reactors. But uh, I think we do a really good job explaining in this one, like what does this all mean? And how does it mean, what does it mean for anybody who's looking to use a calcium reactor or has one and wants to make theirs a little more easier to understand what's happening inside the calcium reactor? Uh, did, I spent about a good page, page and a half explaining just kind of what all these terms mean and what it does. So right. that's my next one. Awesome, well, we'll see you that next week. Yeah. And probably some salt stuff next week after that. <laughs> right cool. on. All right, have a good weekend. Take care. Or week.